Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, Mackenzie Koss, marketer extraordinaire. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Brand Collective. Today, we have Anna Griffin, Chief Marketing Officer at Intercom. Welcome, Anna. We are thrilled to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. So first off, uh, you are such an inspiring and impressive human being. Just from my experience, I feel like I first uh, was introduced to you when you were, uh, you would give presentations as I believe the head of marketing for Smartsheet when when Brandfolder was initially acquired. Um, And I was always sort of struck by your passion and your optimism and just the the amount of people that would sort of flood the chats with positive messaging whenever you would come on. Um, So it's really wonderful to sit down. do you mind taking us through your career and how you ended up at the position that you're at currently? Sure, sure, sure. And first of all, thank you for the very, very kind words. I am blushing. I know you can't see that on a podcast, but I, I truly am blushing. Thank you. Um, okay, the journey. Like, how did I get from uh, to here to there to sitting in a home office in Raleigh, North Carolina, with two golden retrievers at my feet? That could be a, a long, long story. So I'll try to make it short. Um, you know, I. Um, I think I always grew up a creative soul. I had a, a father who was a um, small town business owner and he made his own commercials and he was an entrepreneur, just a creative, original kind of thinker in person. And so I knew I had a creative ilk and spirit in me because just from what I was exposed to growing up. And then um, I kind of parlayed that into being a dancer and uh, uh, dancing and being on the stage kind of took me into being a theater major in college. And uh, I remember my father saying, like, uh, lo- lo- love your dreams. And if I'm going to fund them, do me a favor and also get a business degree. And so, so I also got into the business school and, and kind of found this place in, in like kind of graduating. And where, where was I going to do and what did I want to how could I still be me and express who I am and how I think in a career where you could actually make money? And was trying to figure that out. and was also you know, watching a show on television, for those who remember it, Melrose Place. And I was like, ah. Classic you know, journal. Amanda, Amanda in Melrose Place advertising. That seems like a, a you know a place where creativity lives and and grows. And so I so I got into advertising and got uh, you know, uh, I do believe in luck. I truly do believe in luck. So I, I do believe I got lucky. I, I know that I have always had an intense work ethic, but that work ethic and luck sometimes meet. And so some of my very first um, jobs. And, and agencies were number one boutique creative agencies where people just naturally think differently. Um, number two, I get to work on some some brands early days. Those, those first brands that you touch and the people that you work with and how they think shape how you think about you know, branding. And so one of my very first jobs was um, uh, uh, working at Hal Reine in an agency um, on Saturn. And Saturn, right, like, generationally, no one's going to know what I'm talking about. That feels like it was an eternity ago. But in the 90s, that was like the most original car brand that had ever come to market. It was like the answer to the Japanese car crisis America was having. And it was a, it was this notion that, you know, it's not just the the, the car, it's the whole experience of the car. It's it's how you buy the car. It's, a, it's owning the car, how the car serviced, uh, the community that surrounds the car and the people that love the car and how all that comes together to create this, 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 passion of people who, who, who love the, the car and what it, the role it plays in their life as, as much as they love it as a piece of transportation. And so, um, you know, that kind of then led to an opportunity at Apple 
I got to launch products from the very first iMac uh, up to iPod. And your viewers are going, iPod? What's an iPod? But back in the day, kids, that was a very hip product. That was <laughs> that, uh, in your pocket. It was a disruptor. It was yeah. a disruptor product back I in the day. I love those. You know? uh, and then that kind of led to, you get a few of those. And then that, then then you start getting jobs where people go, can you do for us what you did for for that? And so that led to a chance to work with you know, on Sony on some projects and uh uh, to work in, believe it or not, in fashion. I've always been a fashionista. And Land's End was this you know, brand that had been an early internet disruptor in terms of being an online retailer. And they had been bought by brick and mortar Sears. And again, you, you kids are going to go Sears. Uh, yes, Sears. Business years ago. Like, I'm so aging and dating myself. But but I was I always found myself in this place where these brands were having this tension. They were either the disruptor uh, trying to disrupt an industry, or they were the innovator trying to to sell something that the world didn't know it needed yet, and um, and then that kind of led to a, a you know a career, believe it or not, in in, in B two B. I ended up um, wanting to live back where I'm sitting today in Raleigh, North Carolina, and you and to raise a family, and um, you start making choices of. There's only so many jobs in certain geographical regions, and so you know I was what it. Uh, again, in an ad agency, but I realized I was going to have to go work on the corporate side to continue to make the, the money and have the, the career aspirations, you know, that, that I had. It wasn't like I was living in New York City and there were thousands of ad agencies. So, um, so I went to, to work on a, the you know, B2B, like the dark side is what we used to call it, uh, <laughs> of advertising. And um, I got, you know, started to work for some hardware brands and, you know, again, brands that were challenger brands, you know, brands that invented the internet and internet protocol brands that had maybe, you know, were in one business model, like software companies that might've been mainframe trying to enter and reposition and, and, and play relevancy in an enterprise SaaS world. And so there were just always this collection of, of different types of, of, of companies. And, and the more, you know, I was able to get in as a, you know, a, an advertising manager that then would lead to a vice president of marketing that would lead to something else. You, you would just kind of get in and, and take on more. And it ultimately led to a, a CMO career. Wow. It's such an impressive career and such an inspiring journey. Um, and obviously, these are huge brands that have a major cultural impact. Um, how do you how do you decipher which brands you you want to work with and which brands maybe don't need your services? It feels like these words like disruption and you know like it, it's, it's almost part of who you are as a, a creative. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, number one, um, you always want to look at anybody looking for a job. This is just good, good advice, but certainly for creative, you're, you're trying to find people who have the same ilk as you. You know, so you know, companies, brands, products, they, 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 they think and they feel about the world the same way that you do. So usually, you know, you kind of look for where, like, is it a great product? And then if it's a great product, you know, not only does the product do something useful and meaningful and it can do something meaningful in the world, but is it beloved? Like, you know, I, I immediately start, you know, sniffing around going, ah, do people love it? And it doesn't mean everyone has to love it, but if there are a few zealots and you can find some passion in that, like, oh, people are passionate about this thing. Like they love this product. There's something I got to know about it. Like there's, this thing can have traction when people become zealots about what it does for their life. It just validates that it's a, it's a meaningful product that does meaningful things, you know, for, for, for people. Um, and then, you know, that, that sense of passion, you can be the most boring, driest 
product in the world you and still do meaningful things so like again i worked in hardware like you know there's only so many <laughs> things you can say about switching and routing but but still like if people are there's a passion the customers even feel a passion for using it the 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 inventors you know the engineers they come to work every day with like a, if we don't come to work today and give it our best then the world isn't going to get the best of what they need that's why when i worked at juniper networks like those engineers would come in that building every day and go, if we don't do our best today, the world is not going to get to where it needs to, to be. We, we will never become, a, you know, a truly connected world. Like there was, a, you know, I guess, mission driven, you know, mission. Like you yeah. need to know that what you do is worthy and important because you're going to give it, if you can buy into that and that and you have that shared belief, then you're going to wake up every morning and make sure you're giving it that that same kind of conviction and, and belief. And and that's where you're going to find, you know, happiness and satisfaction in, in the work you do, regardless the company becomes a wild success or not. You know, being being a part of the journey is almost as important as standing, you know, up on on the mountain. Right, and you can almost sort of gain that sense of purpose from the vision behind the company and the the passion behind the company. I agree that passion is infectious. It's remind, it reminds yeah. me of a cousin. I have a younger cousin who, when he was a baby, he was obsessed with vacuum cleaners. Like he would like tell you all about <laughs> vacuum cleaners. Now he's an electrical engineer and he's like crushing it. Um, but I, I was like, it. that's passion right there. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, and talking about passion, just because you you worked for Apple during such kind of a revolutionary time in Apple's history, um, do you mind talking about maybe some of the lessons you learned uh, in that specific time? You said between the first iMac and the first iPod. Yeah. That was like when Apple was emerging as a, a force to be reckoned with. I feel like before that, it was all like, dude, where's my Dell and like gateway computer. And like, it was just, yeah, yeah. Computer landscapes were like kind of, to put it nicely, like professorial or like, <laughs> it wasn't right, quite right, as right. exciting as what Apple brought to the table. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it democratized technology for the everyday man. So all of a sudden everyone could participate, you know, as an equalizer and uh, people love, you know, uh, equalizer brands. Like, you know, I think there's always a, Anytime this is just for the a certain echelon or a certain, you know, percentage and anybody who can come in, think about Nike, Nike, you know, democratized sport, you know, it used to be this highly professional overbuilt shoe. And they took that same type of shoe and they made it accessible, you know, for, 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 for the everyday man, the everyday runner. Um, you know, Apple did that with technology. I believe Smartsheet does that with excelling at work. It's like, no, 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 you know, you know, you know, it progressing and being a, a thought leader and a, and participating in work is it even if you're a project manager it can be highly strategic if you have the tools that allow you to participate. And it's not just for management; it's for everyone to 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 help a company rise and succeed. And so, in a way, Smartsheet was a, a an equalizer for 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 the everyday man to be able to do more work. And I I, I always love that. I would say um, I think what I learned early on, and you and you do get jaded when those are your first experiences. You think. Every CEO, because you don't get exposed to that many in your 20s. So you know, you think every CEO is Steve Jobs. And uh, so you think everyone you know thinks that way. And the role of marketing in a company is defined the way Steve Jobs thought about marketing in a company. And it wasn't until his you know, second, you know, those experiences afterwards, you realize, like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> no, 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 no. Very few people in corporate America think about marketing the way Steve Jobs thought about marketing and the role it played in in, in strategy and in, 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 in the company. Um, very few people would take risk and bets and and go on a hunch versus 
here's 1,700 pages of research that suggests blah, 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 blah. I remember there were times he would say, like, fire the research team. This is what we're doing. I don't need someone to validate how, how you know, how can someone validate a product that people want when we're building a product that they don't even know exists? Like, right. you know, so I, I don't need, I don't need that. So those were early signals that, that I, that, you know, of, of disruptors and, and innovators. But I think the, the most important thing that I learned in those early days is that, uh, a brand is, 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 it's not a logo. It's not a color palette. It's, it's not some really cool advertising. It is the collection of every single touch point and experience you have with a product that in, at the end of the day determines the premium you're willing to pay for it. So, so, you know, a brand is, is 360. It's, 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 it's as much as it's an entire customer life cycle. It's it's owning it and value and how it's sold to you and how it's serviced and and uh, the continued value and education and the community of people that use it and, and, and surround you with it and um, and the things that you can make with it and like those make the totality of, of a brand and um, I you know I think that's the thing that still excites me today is that the you know. So many people, I think, think of, of brands as, you know, the, the tagline or the, you know, again, the logo and the colors and not the collective experience and the role that it plays in your life. And that's where the real opportunity is as a marketer and uh, certainly as a CMO. Yeah, I love that. So going off that, um, particularly for women who are trying to follow a similar path, what are some of the qualities that actually helped you break through during those decades when men really dominated the business world and certainly within the tech industry? Uh, you know, um, I think I was lucky that some of the very first jobs were in highly creative agencies because I think, I, you know, I, I certainly, and I know every generation is different and I grew up in a generation in the 90s. And so you know, I think there was a, a much greater division between men and women, the role that they played, but somehow being in an ad agency, despite take mad men off the table. And again, that was the seventies. So take that off the table. But, but given the nineties, I just think it was like, here's a group of collective uh, uh, creative individuals trying to solve a problem. And it kind of didn't matter if you're a boy or a girl or, or the role you played, or even if you were an account executive or an account executive versus a creative director or a or a copywriter, or a, a you know a, a producer, like you're a group of people sitting in a room trying to solve you know a, a problem together, and again that that's a that's kind of an equalizer because you start to feel like everybody's role is is important. There's not just one person who who solves a problem. Sure, somebody might be the creative director at the end and and have a you know steer a, a, an amazing insight to yeah, and have the you know uh, je ne sais quoi or the panache to produce. <laughs> Way that it that it lifts up all ideas into something is truly special, but people are equal in in coming together and thinking about how they solve problems, and so I think you know women sometimes forget that they are an equal of equal value in the problem solving. Um, uh, women can sometimes be more more quiet, uh, and not not all women. Everyone's different. I'm not trying to stereotype women, but you know. They might be more prone to allow you know the louder voices in the room, which by the way can sometimes be women. You know, sometimes it's men, but you know, but they're but they they tend to avoid conflict and they kind of sit back and they more listen and observe and and they won't really truly participate until they feel safe, like they're not going to be judged, attacked, disagreed with, or or, or whatever. It's just sort of kind of a, a, a female quality, or maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a quality of the feminine brain when women can realize that their value. <laughs> is exactly that being who they are 
Like, like you are more valuable, not trying to play to someone else's strength or play to the room or playing to uh, a situation. Your value is to be in the complimentary piece. So you have to have confidence in that. You have to know that that's true. And when that's true, you can be confident to be who you are and, and to share your expressive viewpoint on things. And um, uh, you don't have to, to, to count back. It, your, what you bring to the party is needed and important. And uh, it, women can, can program that into, to their, in, into their being a little bit more, you know, and, and feel comfortable in their skin. Um, uh, they're actually doing the, the world a, a greater service. I absolutely love that and agree. Do you have any advice for women in business that are navigating similar challenges that you may have faced? Oh gosh, you know, um, you know, uh, number one, trust your instincts, you know, be, be confident that you have worth and value, like, like we just said, but you, know, when you can do that, you know, I, I think, you know, watch out for gaslighting. I think gaslighting is a thing and I don't think it's a conscious thing. I think it just happens like they're, you know, in stronger personalities, you know, gaslighting happens regardless intentional or not. And, I, you know, it's, it's more of a female quality to agree to the, to the change of the, the of perception of the reality to avoid conflict. And so, you know, watch out for that. You, know, you don't have to agree. You can agree to disagree and, and it's okay. And, and conflict is, is, is a good thing. It, it, it forces you to like seek to understand and to try to find common ground. So, uh, so, you know, the things that we kind of think are, are bad things are actually really, really good things. Um, you just have to lean into them that way. Does it feel like the challenges that you might've faced as a woman in those earlier days are improving for women in today's workforce? Yeah. Yeah. I really do. I, you know, I could certainly, you know, from the last five years, like the, the consciousness of, of, you know, equality in pay and, and the companies looking at the, just the difference and making meaningful difference, trying to, to, to edge it in, into the right direction. The, um, uh, the, the, you know, the consciousness of equal representation, you know, of all diversity in a workplace and trying to get, you know, the better balances. So I'm so optimistic um, uh, about how, just how far in the past five years, the, uh, certainly the U.S. has come. I can't say that for the world yet. But, right. um, um, but, you know, certainly the U.S. and it, it's just become, um, you know, there's, there's not a, a, a conscious company out there that doesn't strive to get better at it. And, um, right, you know, I'm highly, highly op optimistic about the future. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, can we shift and talk a little bit about what you're working on now and Intercom and how that came into your life and maybe what uh, your goals are in your capacity? Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, it's a it's one of those products. Like I, like I said at the beginning, like ah, oh, you know, sometimes there's this great product and there's you know this this passionate following for it, and there's just this this marketplace opportunity. And you know, Intercom is one of those you know right product at the right place at the right time, and it's got you know some, some zealots. You know, I have twenty five thousand customers that love it, and wow, can I get two and a half? you know, million customers to, to love it. You know, how can we take a brand and, and, and bring it to the light of its fullest potential? Because it does have that, that makings. And so you know, what, what Intercom is, is it's, well, first of all, its mission is, we're talking about mission uh, driven companies as well and being attracted to that. Uh, you know, Intercom's mission is it's a customer, it's a modern customer communication platform, but its mission is to make the internet business personal. So you think about when the world, you know, jumped over into you know, digital transformation, 
we went over into this kind of one-way world where you are a digital business transacting with a customer and you lost everything that you used to have. Like you used to be able to walk into a store and they would know you by name and they would say, oh, you know that dress you bought last time, Anna? These shoes just came in. You know, know, a lot of that trust and, uh, you know, uh, interpersonal relationships is lost in a digital business. While we've still gotten great, we, we have recommendation engines and we do personalization and we know people's names. But it's still it's it's a one way thing. Knowing someone's you know name alone is not really engaging them in a in a, in a personal relationship. And knowing their last purchase is not really engaging them. Engaging is two way. It's like this interaction, you know, back and forth, and that really has lacked in in digital businesses. And so, you know, Intercom does just that. It's you know, its primary product is is a messenger and a messenger that can it can have live interaction in a digital business with humans. It can be with bots. It can be with, with bots that switch over to humans, but it's, it's always, you know, talking and seeking and asking and, and, and learning from you, you know, respectively. And, and it does it with first party data, which is the other thing that I, I'm really excited about as a marketer. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, with the sunsetting of cookies and all the issues with third-party data and privacy, you know, at the end of the day, the person with the most first-party data wins. I mean, because you, you you have permission to know things and your customer feels safe that you know these things. They don't feel like you tricked me or you, or how do you know that? That's creepy. And, you know, it's sort of like, no, because we've been engaging in a human conversation. We've been engaging in a dialogue and I know these things. And then I can compound all those things that I know about you to keep getting better and better. Not only in when I acquire you as a customer, maybe on the front end of a website or in an app or in a product demo or, you know, a, a, you know, a trial, but then, and now you own the product and how I can treat you in customer success and how I can support you and how I can proactively constantly have this relationship with you. And, you know, a lot of companies will do that in pieces and parts today. Like, you know, the support team has a tool and this is how they support a customer and a sales team has a tool and this is how they, you know, a piece of software and this is how they acquire a customer and a marketing team has their own software and we will send you an email via Marketo two days later. And, and there are all ways of communicating, but they're not necessarily two-way and they're all done in silos. And so you know, what, what I get excited about Intercom is it is a, a, a single customer record. So marketing, sales and support know the same things about the customer and it builds and they can pass off to each other. So, you know, everybody's job now is to sell. Everybody's job is to market. Everybody's job is to support. It's not just in a silo anymore. And so if you have that single customer record and you have that ability to, 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 to converse and be interactive and learn and grow that AI and that first party data, you can do remarkable things with the customer, which in a weird way goes back to, and now that I think about it, what I said at the opening is a brand is, it's, it's the collection of all the touch points, how you're treated as a human being and, and the value and the, the, the that personal connection that's going to determine the premium you're willing to pay for, for the product you're using. And so um, so I think it's now that, now that we're actually saying this, I actually think it's a, <laughs> a product that shares all of my uh, same personal uh, uh, beliefs and experiences. So I, I am thrilled to be uh, you know uh, working on this and, and see what we can make it do for uh uh, you know, for other brands. Yeah, it's really, it's really fascinating. It almost feels like uh, maybe you manifested it, like you've created this yeah. perfect role. Well, um, the power of manif- Nick, the power of manifestation. I'm not kidding you. Like that is something I didn't learn until later in my career, and that is something I would want everyone to know earlier. <laughs> like know this, know this in in your childhood years, know it in your 20s, particularly and when you're building your career. 
you what whatever you you are the product of story period um you are a product of the story you've been told and um and you know and destiny follows story so if you if you manifest what you're what you're going to be and do and become and the role and the meaning and the things that you want. And when you put it out there, it comes back to you. It took me a long time to realize that. And and I, I'm not going to get into religious and karma or any of that kind of stuff. Cause I don't, I, I, I don't actually know how that works. I just know that it's true. I know when you manifest a story for yourself, uh, you know, the, the things you want to be able to do and contribute in the world, it will find you. So manifest, manifest, manifest. I do believe in that, Nick, deeply. Yeah, no, I love that. And I love, um, I mean, it's almost like setting setting your sails and then it affects your language and it affects how you talk and how you, you know, all of your intentions go towards, uh, it's almost like a goal. I really, I believe in it too. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Going back to this uh, single customer story, because I think this is a sort of a fascinating change. And it um, it reminds me of like, when I was a teenager, I worked at the Gap and we were like really instructed to like make these personal interactions with everybody and try to do your best and don't be overbearing and don't, if someone just wants to browse, like let them do their thing. And like you have this nuanced, uh, you know, human interaction. And now that everything is digital or virtually everything is happens over this, you know, computer platform and every single company that we talk to, and I'm not even trying to be funny here, but every single t company uh, mentions trying to humanize what their work is and like trying to create a real human interaction. And it feels like uh, at Intercom, you're tasked with a very nuanced and very uh, meaningful to a business interaction point of, of maybe an, an AI interaction that can sort of seamlessly become a human interaction and seamlessly go back to AI. But then everybody that works at that company can sort of track this exact same story that's being written. And it's not, I mean, it's pretty fascinating. I'm just sort of recapping in my head because I do think it's like, it feels oh, it kind is, of revolutionary. It's crazy. <laughs> it is. It's crazy where this is getting ready to to go because you know I, I do think we're at this era of digital business where like, like I, you know, offer bombing and uh you know think all the bad personalization that you get to and you're like yeah. I, I, you know it just makes the company you're like no it's so bad no you don't know me and so you know i think you know humanizing a product starts with uh, you know understanding the human that you're dealing with what their preference is maybe they don't want to talk to a human maybe they do maybe they want to talk to a chat bot maybe they don't maybe they they Maybe they want to self-serve, like, you know, everyone's different and, you know, yeah. you know, people and how they want to interact with brands and maybe they're not ready to be sold, but they just want to, they, they want to find, and maybe you help them find things easier, but, you know, there are, are, are roles for, you know, technology to understand the, the preference and then allow those preferences to take place. And, and but again, it's not going to happen if you don't have some kind of two-way interaction you know happening and 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 in the most important place in the product in the moment that you're actually thinking about someone's brand you know if you are at mcdonald's and you're buying a hamburger you don't really want a marketo email two days later saying would you like fries with your hamburger <laughs> it's when you're in the product in the moment you should be talking about french fries you, you know what i'm yeah. saying and so so you can't 
our marketing tools are, are fantastic. MarTech's come a long way and it does a lot of really great, interesting, helpful things. But there's, there's, there's now, now you got to add to it. You got to add in the pro, in context, in the product, in the moment as, as the next place for customer, you know, uh, you know, connectivity and learning and, and, and two-way exchange with each other. I, I think it's going to, it's, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be fascinating. And you said something that I just wanted to interrupt you because I got so excited when you say it. So I'm going to go back. You said when you worked at The Gap. Okay, I'm tying all this full circle. So one of the very first questions you asked was, how did you even get into this business? What I did not tell you was one of the pieces of advertising that was out in the world at that time when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life was, was The Gap. Gap was doing some of the most amazing advertising ever. And there was Gap this swing. one Gap ad. And it, it, was, it, was, it was just before, it was just before Gap Swing. And it was for, for every generation, there's a gap. And as a young woman who just graduated from college, trying to figure out what she wants to do in the world, this had like it had you know it was shot in black and white, and showed like a you know a man who looked like John F. Kennedy Jr. you know walking in a pea coat down the streets in New York with a you know a, a two year old you know baby on his on his shoulders and and a this and it was just it made this most just in a weird way it was everything that I kind of was wanting in my life and the brand just captured it you know, so, so so beautifully so here's what was so interesting I remember always seeing that ad and just loving it for every generation there's a gap because it was kind of talking about you know all the different you know for babies men women you know they, they cover it all and manifestation I'm going to bring it all home for you manifestation I love that ad so much and I knew I wanted to be in the advertising business I moved to San Francisco to get into the advertising business and Guess who my very first boss was? It was two gentlemen, um, uh, uh, Matt uh, Kirk Citron and Matt Halligman, and they were the creative directors of that Gap ad. And those were the first guys to ever hire me. I didn't know it until about you know, six weeks working for them, and I was, saw something like the reel or something. I was like, "You guys made that ad! You're the reason I got into advertising, and now I get the chance to work with you." And anyway, so that's the power of manifestation. So see, it's it's real. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, I love that. Yeah, I I love that. For me, I mean, I never heard of digital asset management ever before, and now I work here. <laughs> so maybe just a little bit of luck. <laughs> exactly. Digital asset management is like can be so critical to a brand. It helps a brand show up at the right place at the right time to not be tone deaf, to be uh, alert and conscious of of situations happening in the world. And, you know, the world changes so much. I was thinking of, you know, back in the day, like you know, Tiger Woods and early in his career, there were some scandals. And if you, you know, were, I believe, who was it? It might've been Accenture. They owned every billboard in every, you know, airport around the world. And then that scandal happens and they're using Tiger Woods everywhere. You know, in that moment, they needed to, to, to pull back, you know, from, from, from that brand. And if you're doing that, like, manually and that's terrible like i'm a huge tiger wood fan so again i'm, I'm right. going back to you know it's, it's yeah. a moment in time but, th but there's always going to be these moments where you need to react and respond and be mindful of of the world and the way people are thinking about the world around you and the way your, your brand is actually showing up in that world and so i love you know what digital asset management can do to be you know to help a brand you know calibrate and and be thoughtful and uh be at the right place at the right time yeah um Going back to talking about yeah. brand engagement, um, what do you think, how do you think some brands today are getting it wrong? I apologize for a negative question, but it just feels like brand engagement and this sort of fluid interaction to try to get this first party data 
it seems very innovative and very unique because I, I agree. It's, it's funny. Every time I get an email that's like, hey, Nick, I'm like skeptical. I'm like, you don't know me. <laughs> why are you, why are you, why yeah, are you yeah. reaching out? Hey, Nick, just thought I'd bend your ear. Hey, so anyways, maybe you want to buy this or I don't know. It just, it seems a little, yeah. uh, it's like an attempt at personalization, humanization, but it seems like such a trick and such like, uh, we figured out your name, pal. <laughs> like, does that make you like yeah, us? Yeah. Well, so, so where I think people are getting it wrong is, um, twofold. Number one, engagement happens in silos. And as long as everyone, if you think about engagement as, well, you know, over here in you know, sales, our job is just to engage, you know, at, at this. And then, you know, another team has another piece of software, but they only want to engage in this transactional part. And this team only wants to engage, you know, in ticketing and a support thing. And this team only wants to get, so, so, so number one, you never, you never get the whole person that you're dealing with. And so sadly, you're dealing with someone on your terms, not their terms. You're, you're dealing with them on uh, what you need to get from them and not what they need to, what they expect and want to experience with your, with your product. Um, number two, you know, I think engagement has been defined as um, touch points. Like the more, the more touch points I have or a little bit more personalization, it's like, it's, 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 it's you know, engagement is really about like, engaging one-on-one with each other. And if you're not engaging one-on-one, then you're just, you're just adding to somebody's, you're just touching them more. And there's a role for, for omni-channel and multi-touch. And there's a role for personalization. Do not get me wrong. Like, but, but on, on their terms. And the only way you can get to their terms is through first party data. Cause that's the only way you're going to know what they, what they, what they want and what they desire. And so number one, we've got to get engagement out of silos and, and companies that can start to realize it's, engagement, you know, across is, is it moves companies from, you know, you know, you know, keeping up with support tickets to, you know, transforming experiences. So, you know, get, get it. Everyone can, can touch and, and, and be a part of this. And now there is software and platforms that, that, that do this and, and, and that can compound. That's what's going to improve your conversion rates. That's what's going to improve your, uh, your, your NPS scores. That's what's going to improve your net revenue retention. Like, like, you know, like that, that totality, you know, all of those things working in conjunction are going to take the business further faster than just did we get this conversion and this part of the silo up? Did we get, you know, keep this many people, you know, renewing? Did we, you know, I, there, there's a faster way to, to, to growth in a company. And I do believe it is through, through, through meaningful engagement. And, and frankly, that's going to be powered by first party data. Obviously, your career is just extraordinary. Kind of stuff of legend to me. Uh <laughs> You are so kind. Oh my God. <laughs> do, you, do you mind? Um, do, is there anything else that uh, you're passionate about outside of work or what other sort of, uh, how does your uh, life round out? Yeah. You mentioned that family yeah, in North Carolina. Yeah. yeah well, uh, number one, like, oh, can I just do a little advertisement for the state of North Carolina? Yeah. This is the most lovely state. It is it is so rich and eclectic, you know, in, uh, uh, you know, mountains and beaches and everything's green and lush and four, you know, distinct seasons and um, uh, uh, kind, lovely people. And so North Carolina is a very big part of me. Like people, honestly, they engage. You ask someone how the weather is, they're going to tell you for, for, <laughs> for 10 minutes because they, it's, it's, it's very authentic 
place because people believe that humans, you know, should know each other and interact and like connect with, you know, with each other. And so, uh, so North Carolina is a very big piece of, of who I am. The second thing, I'm also a hugely eclectic person. So I love collecting all types of things. I, I, I love interior design. I love menu planning. I love entertaining big groups. I love uh, thinking about how to bring eclectic people together and creating beautiful you know, experiences that they'll have as lifetime experiences. And so in a weird way, that is also what I do for a, you know, a living. And But it's also what I do in my, my, my personal time is stitching together, you know, people and places and and food and wine and uh, uh, environments and, and and making it all come together to to enrich you know somebody's life, including my own, by you know hosting or participating in these things. Yeah, I'm a big time host. I love that energy too. I love bringing together people and cooking amazing food and drinking great wine and spirits. And yeah, yeah big big time. What, what, what's your best recipe? Like, like, what do you make that you're you're better at than anyone else? What do I make? I make a famous dish. You too. You're you're famous. I make like a grilled shrimp and honey pad thai, which is pretty good. Um, I love grilled food. Uh, My wife makes an amazing chili. And I know it's weird to be like, let's talk about chili, but it's so good. (laughs) It's like a whiskey and coffee chili. And it's unlike anything. It's delicious. Um, that's good. I love shucking oysters. It's not making anything, but I love shucking them. I feel like it's like a good skill to have when, when you invite people over and you're shucking, people are like, I've never had a home shucked oyster. <laughs> oyster. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Matt, what do you do? Matt, what's your specialty? So I have like twofold. My partner is a really good to cook too, but um, we came up with this really good recipe for shishito peppers. So Ooh, like grilling cool. them or putting them in... Um, a cast iron skillet in the oven and they get all crispy. And then we make, make this like spicy aioli sauce on the side, which is really good. And then I make these homemade peanut butter balls that are actually healthy. Um, and I make them every year as like Christmas gifts or like I make a egg version for Easter. So that's, that's my thing that nice. I came up with. Um, Cause I, who doesn't love peanut butter and chocolate? So exactly, yeah. exactly. And people love being made feel, you know, to feel special by the, the yes. giving food or giving entertainment. So yeah. see, you guys, we're, 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 we're <laughs> the same milk. Yeah, like you said earlier, you got to find your tribe. You got to find yeah. your, yeah. find the common energy. So this is stand with the brand and this is kind of a twofold, two different brands that came together for something. So more brands than ever are entering into the metaverse and Absolute Vodka actually debuted their entry, if you will, into the metaverse by launching Absolute Land with the return of Coachella. So in Absolute Land, those who are 21 and older, obviously, they can explore things like an art gallery or gardens, an anti-gravity dance floor, bars, that kind of thing. So they took it a step further and actually combined the virtual world with a physical one by mirroring what was in the virtual world into the real world. So there was people who were in the virtual setting, but then also people in the real setting, yeah, having fun. Um, 
So nothing is really set in stone on just how big the next generation of the internet will become when it comes to doing things like this. But a report from Bloomberg, Bloomberg estimated that the metaverse could generate $800 billion in revenue worldwide by 2024 by doing things like this and even taking it a step further. So my question to you, Anna, is do you stand with the brand or do you take a seat? Hmm. Um, and, and in this case, the, the stand with the brand is do, do, do you continue to push and do plays like what Absolute did or, okay. Yes. Um, okay. Well, I'm going to give you, you know, I guess the answer is, is both. So um, brands like, you know, alcohol mix well with music, mix well with fantasy, mix well with entertainment and wanting to be entertained. So I stand with them on, on that because it bodes well to, what they do and, and where people drink absolute and you know in clubs and in concerts and in venues and and they're looking for you know escapism and fantasy and all those things. That's why you drink you know, to a degree. So so I stand with the brand. I don't think every brand should do that though. Like like I I, yeah. I think like there's something about being authentic and real. And um uh and I think people, human beings can sniff through something that's not authentic and, and genuine. Right. So I stand with them on that because I do believe that is a, you know, uh, I I wouldn't make every play that they go to market through that lens of of meta, but, but I I think it's an interesting, you know, place for them to explore. Uh, They'll get talked about, you know, I I think the way they execute it sounds fantastic. I'd actually kind of want to go check it out. Um, Is that something I would do at Intercom? No. You know, like it was, again, people want an authentic, real experience. They don't want you know, so, so anyways, it's going to be for each his own different brands, yes. but I stand with them on that. I like that. I agree. I think, uh, with certain brands, it does work. Um, and especially like you said, when it comes to kind of that fantasy paired with, if you're having some drinks and everything, it can kind of take you to that next level, um, of combining that virtual experience. Some people kind of over on one side and then everyone else is also witnessing it and experiencing it in the real world, which kind of sounds weird to say in the real world, but that's where we're <laughs> at. Uh, but I agree. Um, had issues yeah. in the meta world and they needed better support with the product. Like I guess if businesses are going to yeah. show up and act in the meta, then, you know, it needs to be, you know, personal there as well. I mean, that is a digital, exactly. it's a yeah. dig- different digital world. And so it would be true to our brand to, to do that if people were having a genuine business problem and they needed genuine, you know, uh, if, if, if we could solve their problem in the meta, I just don't know how many people are transacting in the meta right now where they have. Right. Absolutely. Issues or conversion issues, yeah. you know, engagement issues, but I don't know. I, yeah. I'm going to say never. I hate that. I just said never because like, yeah, I don't know, but there are scenarios where I could imagine something. What about you, Nick? It kind of makes me, it's very fascinating. So people go into this space. It, it it feels like it's some sort of play on the FOMO that an event like Coachella creates that maybe, you know, like Coachella itself um, is very exclusive now or hard to get to or, or yeah. has built a brand that people recognize all over the world. And they're like, here's a little dip into Coachella um, through this sort of virtual way. Uh, I think it's cool. I, I agree. It's like sort of um, arousing people's interest in the event and fantasy and fun. Um, I tried one of those 
two weekends ago, my buddy had one of the new meta Oculus devices and I was kind of blown away. It's really, that's where I feel like an old guy where I'm like, this is too much for me. Like this is way too much going on. It feels crazy. Um, I'd be curious to see what it looks like. Uh, when you say the interaction between the virtual and the physical realms, is it that when you're in your virtual experience, you see the people that are actually in this space, maybe in some space that they created in the Coachella Valley, like on that, uh, what is it, the polo grounds that they have the event on? I guess I'm just curious about what the interaction is between the physical and the virtual world. Yeah. So what they did was recreate what everyone was, if they had those, I'm calling them binoculars. That's probably the not binoculars. what it's called, but we're going with it. The binoculars on, but they had those. Yes. Yeah. Oculus. Thank you. So they had those on and whatever they were seeing and experiencing, they mirrored in the real world. And those people that were wearing those were also able to see people in the real world. I think they looked a little different as far um, as like their avatars, if you will. Right. Um, but I think it it is interesting. I am curious to see if you were to do different events or just how it's going to look on potentially a day-to-day basis uh, when people experiencing different things or if you're, if that's going to be a part of work mode sometimes. Um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it does feel yeah, like... I think it depends on what you, what you sell and you think yeah. about it like collaboration space that, you know, smart sheet and, um, brand folder in, um, exactly. there, there's a world where you could collaborate in, in the meta because by the way, you're collaborating right now in the virtual in something in, in a zoom window. Why couldn't you collaborate in an Oculus and maybe even do exactly. it exactly. Yeah. So you know, All right. it, it might bring a, a different type of a equal environment or a, a way that we're all able to look yeah. experience something versus our home offices. So, yeah. so, so I could see it in collaboration. I, I can certainly see it. Like imagine, you know, things like travel, like I, yes. want, I want you to transcend me to the place that I'm getting ready to spend $10,000 to visit. Cause I want to, I want to want it. I want to know yeah. that's the best $10,000 I ever spent going to X, you know, country or hotel or, or, or whatever. So there's, I think there's a lot of places where, you know, uh, you know, the, the meta makes a ton of, ton, ton of sense. It, it can enrich our worlds greatly. And our avatars awesome. can always look fantastic. So we don't have to really like dress really great. We can always yes. just look great. <laughs> yes. I like exactly. that. Think about dating. People will start, I bet they're going to start dating over Oculus. True. You could meet on True. a and cosmic no, planet somewhere. <laughs> Totally. It's a great idea. Botox is going to get out of business because no one's going to need Botox anymore because it'll all be taken care of in the venom. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. Is there any other stand with a brand or is that it? That's it. That's awesome. Um, Anna, this has been lovely. Uh, we have oh. one more section uh, and it's kind of more of a philosophical section. We ask each of our guests three questions. Um just to sort of start conversation. Uh, and the first question is, what have you done recently for the very first time? Mm, I've been recently for the very first time. Uh, well, I, I did bungee jump um, off a very, very large, large bungee. I think it might be the second largest in the world. It was in New Zealand. And it was... Um, it was the most euphoric 
thing I've ever experienced. There's nothing in my body that wanted to do it. My kids were doing it and I knew they were going to just diss on me forever. I was like, mom, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm scared of heights. I was freaked out. There's nothing in my body that wanted to do it. Like I panicked high, high, high panic and anxiety. But that moment of jumping and that free fall, it was like, I imagine a weird way. It might feel like what dying would feel like if you die, if you were to die peaceful death, it was just, it was the it, euphoric feeling. It was, it was incredible. Like I, I would do it again in a heartbeat. So um, even being deeply scared of heights and not that kind of adventure person, like loved it. So, so that's, so that's that. Wow. That's awesome. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll text you. I'll text you guys. A video. Yeah. 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 I, uh, I've skydived a couple times and that, yeah, that I, Same. I echo that feeling. It's unlike anything that I could have ever described before doing it. And it's hard to even describe after other than just it's this blissful feeling of, you know, there's no gravity. There's no, there's that like long sustained moment of, sorry, my dogs are going crazy. Someone probably just knocked on our door. Uh, there's that. <laughs> Uh, he's a big boy. Oh yeah, he is a big boy. Sounds like he's a, he's not a golden retriever. Uh, is he a lab? Yeah, he's a big black lab. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I told you. Yeah. Jaxo. Jaxo. We're lucky we lasted this long. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's he's a mess. <laughs> um, I'm sure all of the dogs are just uh, so affected by the whole COVID experience. Like, I don't know how our dogs would act if we all of a sudden started going back to work every day. They would be, they would be yeah. tough on them. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was just echoing that sentiment that it's just extraordinary. And I've never done bungee jumping, but I definitely feel like it would be a different thing. Um, only the proximity. Like, were you over a river or over a body of water or anything? Over a, a tiny river. Yeah. 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 They took you out on like a, 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 a freestanding platform. So it wasn't like a bridge, but it was over like a freestanding wow. canyon. And uh, so there's some small water. If you land in the water, you were going to die. So it wasn't like deep water. Um, but yeah. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> but you jumped into a canyon. Yeah. yeah. That's, That's amazing. amazing. Um, the second question that we have is if you were invited to a show and tell right now, what do you think you would bring? Mm, well, I'm going to right now, because my hand is on his head right now, I would bring Oakley, my golden retriever. Oh. Back. I'm going to show him to you. Oakley. Oh, yeah. shoot. That's right. I have him. can't really see him, but, um, <laughs> Oakley is the most loving human dog I've ever, like, I think when people like he's a mix between like Clifford, the big red dog and he's big giant paws. And he's, 
He loves humans. He wants to be with you, wants to interact. He cares about you. He knows when you're not feeling well, or he knows when you're upset about something. He wants to be by your side, you know, constantly and just participate and be a part of your life. He's, um, he's a very special dog. So I would show off, I would show off Oakley. Oh, I love that. Poor Ivy. I love Ivy. that. Ivy's the other dog. She's somewhere. She's, she's almost <laughs> <finished>. <laughs> you get so upset. I hope they don't understand human, human language because she's going to be really upset when she realizes <laughs> second fiddle. It's hard to beat Oakley. <laughs> second favorite child. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and our last question is, if you had to give a piece of advice to a younger version of yourself, what do you think that you would give? Mm. Uh, it would be that manifesting advice. Like, um, in, a, in a weird way, I, I just wish I had done it at a bigger level. Like, I realized early on or later in life that whatever I manifested happened. And I would have manifested bigger things. But I, I, I wasn't given myself permission. I was... I was giving myself to manifest the things that I knew I could achieve. And I would give myself permission to manifest things that there was no way in hell I would have ever thought that I could have achieved. Cause I, I promise you it will happen and it will come true, but I didn't learn that until now, but I can course correct because I think manifestation goes with you your entire life. So, um, uh, you know, I, I think I need to start manifesting. There are things that you plan for your life. I need to start manifesting the, crazy magical things that are, that are unplanned but and feel like impossible and and see what I can make possible. Awesome. Um well thank you so much I for taking that. the time. It's been such a joy talking to you. Uh you're such an inspiration to me and I'm I'm sure to Mackenzie as well, but you can speak to Same. that too, Mackenzie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. Yeah. Huge inspiration. I even wrote down a few things that you said because it just really struck me. So carry on into my own life, maybe. Well, well, awesome. Well, you guys inspire me. Thank you for making podcasts like this to have conversations with folks and to be curious about people and to learn about people. That's so important. Being curious is a is a is a is a skill that uh, will, will carry anybody far. You know, being naturally curious about people and how they think and um, it's, it's important. It's also how we're all gonna live together in a, in a global society. Like we have to be curious and seek to understand and uh, know that everyone's different and everyone thinks different. So thank you for manifesting those conversations into the world. And um, I enjoyed the conversation. Don't be strangers, stay in touch. I use my brand folder. My team uses it all the time. And uh, every time I'm in there, I'm going to be thinking about you guys. So thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to a brand folder podcast where we like to say strong brands live here. Join us as we build the Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love. We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been the Brand Collective.